You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Thank you to Thomas and Georgiana. Tremendous job in leading us in worship. And it was really great how he tied in some songs related to David. So I'm going to share a little bit about David since it's uh, nice to see when the worship guy actually plans that out and coordinates. So that's tremendous. What a blessing you guys are. Peter, I've known, like he said, we've known each other since late 30s. He's a great, good guy. That's the English calendar. It's not the Chinese. So I didn't know. It was, is today the New Year's Day or is this New Year's Eve in the Chinese? So how many of you like word wild parties last night up all night for New Year's? Okay. So you know the testimony, though, of Peter here, just the dedication and commitment he has, is you just look over there. It is so rare in a congregation to see so many students, so many teenagers, and that's because, a lot because of the dedication and commitment that your pastor Peter has. And so don't take him for granted. Pray for him daily and encourage him. And I just, just you know, sometimes we think, oh, we can't clap in church because we, we're not putting praise or glory on people. But I want to praise God for being so gracious to lead this worship team and Pastor Peter here for you. So would you put your hands together and thank God for the gift of them. So... Um, as you, for those of you that were here back in November, a lot of the ladies were gone on a retreat, but you'll, you'll might remember that I like to parodies of groups of songs. And the last one was kind of for the men because it was like an old Western law guy type song. And this is, I guess, maybe a little more sentimental type song. And it's, it's based on, there was an obscure movie in the 90s. I don't know if any of you guys, it was an independent film, really low budget. I don't know if anybody saw it here. Did any of you hear of the movie called Titanic? Is that it? Any hear that? Yeah. And, of course, there was the song by Celine Dion that they played over and over and over on the radio, and you get so sick of it. And I don't know how many of you realized, but they actually asked Michael W. Smith to write a song for the Titanic movie. Michael W. Smith is a Christian recording artist, and I heard him in a concert one time, and he shared the song, and it's a very, very powerful, great song. It's on his album called Live the Life. Unfortunately, they did not use his song in the movie. Even fewer people realize they asked me to do a song for the Titanic movie, but they did not do it, and I think you'll quickly see why. Every night in my dreams, I see you, I hear you, cause radios keep playing this song. MTV, the video store, now even at the Chinese Christian Church of Thousand Oaks with Peter Lee as youth pastor, everyone keeps playing this song I believe that this song will go on and on 
and on and on and on and on and on and on and on and on and on and on I can pretty much keep going until I get the proper response I'm looking Sometimes in my life I don't feel or hear Him But I know God's love will go on So when your life is sinking Get it? Like the boat? And don't you say your goodbyes Because I know God's love will go on These guys, I pay them good money to cheer and clap. And last time they laughed all the right times I told them ahead of time to laugh at. So anyway, uh, I am so glad that you're here this morning. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, congregation, for the privilege. I do consider it a privilege for me, just one human being like David, standing before a congregation like Goliath, I guess, and, and, and the privilege to share from my heart what God's put in my heart to share with you. So uh, we are going to look this morning at the old passage, David and Goliath. Most of you are familiar with the passage, but if you have a Bible or a laptop or whatever is on the end of your arm, a device there, if you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to look at this story maybe in a u- unique way, some of the things you haven't thought of before in this particular passage. And a lot of times people don't even realize why David and Goliath came out to fight each other. So what had happened was, it was one of those times where in the Philistine army, there, was a, uh, there were some giants, there were some great fighting men, and many times in those days, the armies would come out to battle each other, right? And, and they would fight, and they would bring their, their entire army, and they'd get out there and they'd, you know, throw their slings in the, they'd have uh, some swords maybe, and they'd have their AKG machine guns and some Scud missiles. No, they didn't have that. But, you know, they'd have the, just a full-on battle. But they got this brilliant idea. They said, well, you know what, rather than have this big battle, you lose all kinds of casualties of war, we lose men in war. What, let's just do this. You send your best man, we'll send our best man. Whoever wins will win for the entire nation. Right? So it's like if we were going to have this confrontation with Russia today, you know, instead of all the fighting men from both armies, they just say, okay, you send Vladimir Putin, he'll be your representative. We'll send Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory, you know, Bazinga, and they'll fight and whoever wins will win for the whole nation, right? What a clever idea. So it's like if we were in this congregation here, decided to do a similar thing, you'd probably like want to pick, you know, Pastor Peter or me, you know, to go out and fight the guy because, you know, we're pretty strong, muscular guys, right? 
quit laughing. You, but they decided, no, what, what we're going to do, tell me your name again. Wesley, we're going to send Wesley. Let's hear it for Wesley. Yes, Wesley's going to go for us. Yes. But I know, I know many of you are thinking, come on, Wesley, he's just a young guy. He's not, he hasn't had the experience I have. He doesn't have the muscles I have, the strength, the wisdom. Not what, but, you know, think about it. If we were going to send Wesley to be our champion to fight for us, it's very similar to when David came out to fight against Goliath. Because David wasn't any fighting warrior, mighty man. We read that incredible passage from Psalm 51. That was later in David's life, after he had matured and grown. David, at the time of this passage, the Bible says he was just an adolescent, just a young guy, just a teenager. And David, one teenager, is going to fight for the entire country? You've got to be kidding me. Surely we can send somebody better than this. But you know what? That's great news. Because if God could use one teenager to make a difference for the entire nation, guess what? He can use you to make an incredible difference for him as well. And that's kind of the main idea of this message. I wanted you to know you can make a difference. Some of you are going, come on, Larry. I'm just one person in this entire congregation. What difference could I make? And we're just one congregation in the entire city of Thousand Oaks, which is this one kind of community when you think of the entire L.A. area, which is one city in the entire state of California, which is just one state in the entire United States, which is just one country in the entire world. What difference can we possibly make? But the great news is from this scripture passage, God, the God of the universe that could use one teenager to win a a battle for the whole nation, guess what? He can use you. He can use Chinese Christian Church of Thousand Oaks to make an incredible difference for him with or without a pastor. Do you know that? Some of you think, well, we can't do any ministry now. We've got to wait for a pastor. to." No, that isn't how it works. And some of you are like, well, I don't know. We, we just don't seem to be the same congregation. We don't have a senior pastor to lead us. But guess what? The head of this congregation has not left. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the leader of this congregation. And it's great to have men like Peter Lee and others that pastor a congregation to be elders, to shepherd But you know what? The leader of your congregation, Jesus Christ, has not left. He is still here. Do you believe that? How many of you heard that question? Do you believe that? Yes. Okay. Youth, are you with me? All right. Good. He can make an incredible difference in this congregation. And I want us to look at some things that David did from this passage to see how we can make an incredible difference if we apply them in our own life as well. So go ahead and put these next verses up here. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I was wondering, why did David go out here to, to fight this giant? And what did he think he could make a difference? What possibly could he call on to have confidence to defeat this giant? And we see in 1 Samuel 17 at verse 37, he says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Did he say, you know what, I've been really been working out. I've got me a personal trainer, and I've been pumping iron. i got me a video program and been doing video Pilates or whatever, if you eat them or eat that or drink it, I don't know. And I've been, you know what, I've got, I want a special South Beach diet where there's no carbs or I'm the special thousand oaks diet with no snicker bars or whatever it is, you know, your diet is. And sometimes we think, oh, we're going to get strong. David didn't say any of that. He didn't say, I'm a mighty fighting warrior. I will defeat Goliath. No. What did he say? He said, the Lord who delivered me from the hand of the paw, the paw, the bear, the lion, the Lord will deliver me from the hand of this giant. So you want to make a difference? First thing you need to realize, it's God, not you. 
Do you hear that? It's God, not you. David realized, I can't. He never said I could. He can. He always said he would. It's a whole lot more about your availability than your ability. It doesn't matter how much wisdom you have been blessed with or how many muscles, how strong they are. The key here is will you be available? Like David, when you say, God, I'm available, I realize it's you. It's not me. God's the one that makes a difference. I learned this very well when I was in college. I remember uh, my roommate and I uh, met this gal named Pat Vedrin. Pat was from upstate New York. Pat Vedrin had been into witchcraft, weird Eastern religions, the occult, drugs, you name it, Pat Vedrin had been into it. And God opened up this door for us to share our faith with Pat Vedrin one day. And it was kind of amazing the way he opened up the doors. I told the teenagers in Sunday school today, I said, you know what? I challenge you to ask this prayer to God. Just say, God, I'm available. Use me today. Maybe a good New Year's resolution. Not New Year's, New Day. Because every day you can say, God, use me. Here I am. I'm available. And I've prayed that many times before. And so we prayed that, and God opened up this door. And the way he did was because we had this conversation on if a tree falls in the forest, does it make any sound if nobody's there to hear it? Have you had that, heard that question? Are there sound waves? I mean, what if, if nobody hears the waves, do they exist? And so, of course, the modern-day version of that question are, are my small home group leaders from South Africa. And his question is, if two men are talking in the forest and there's no women to hear them, are they still wrong? It's <laughs> a modern version, just kidding. So, so we asked this question, and somehow in the world it got to a discussion about who Jesus Christ was and what it meant to be a Christian. And Pat Veteran was new to this whole thing. And we shared with her from the bottom of our heart how Jesus had changed our life. Not only do you, when you die, you get to go to heaven. You've got the greatest friend right here. I mean, we're on a roll. I don't know, have you ever been in one of those situations? I don't know, Peter, you had one of those deals where you're witnessing somebody. And I mean, every question, you have the perfect answer. Every every hesitation, you just, I mean, we were, I don't want to brag here. We were doing so good that day. I almost want to just step back and take notes on myself. Like, wow, where did that line? That was great, you know? I thought there is no way Pat Veteran is not going to want to become a Christian. And guess what? Pat Veteran did not want to become a Christian. I thought, how can you pass this up? Not only when you die, you get to go to heaven. You've got the greatest friend, Jesus, that will never leave you. How can you say no? She kept saying no. Well, we gave her some things to read, some little tracks, some other things, but still nothing. Well, a couple nights later, my roommate and I were praying before, kind of a dorm devotional thing before going to sleep. And as we started to pray at dawn on me, not one time had we ever prayed and asked God to touch Pat's heart. We'd never prayed and asked God to save her. And that very night, we just prayed, God, if you want to save Pat Vedrin, you save her. We've watered, we've planted. 1 Corinthians 3, 7 says, some water and some plant, but God gives the increase. What a relief off our shoulders to know it wasn't our responsibility. We couldn't do it anyway. So that night we prayed, God, if you want to save Pat, you save Pat. The next morning, the very next morning, we're eating breakfast in the cafeteria. I can still picture Pat walking into the cafeteria blurry-eyed. She comes, sits down next to us. She says, Larry, the strangest thing happened to me last night. I could not even get to sleep. And like three or four in the morning, I fell down on my knees right by my bed. And I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. (laughs) Man, that was so awesome. Because we realized it wasn't us. It was God. Listen, you can't save one person. I can't save one person, but God can. And he wants to use you if you'll just be available. That's how you can make an incredible difference. Will you pray that this morning? 
maybe in a fresh way and say, God, I'm available, use me. No commitments. Not, you don't have to say, well, I'm going to make sure I go witness to that grocery store person to check out. You know, if God opens the door, great. But just say, God, I'm available. Use me. That's exactly what happened in this passage. And David was able to make an incredible difference, not because he was such a mighty fighting warrior and had all these years of experience. He was just young. But he said, God, I'm available. Use me any way you want. So uh, I think this is an important reminder for congregations that are without a pastor, one of their pastors. Because sometimes when the preaching pastor leaves, People think, oh, we got to wait till we get another preaching pastor to do the work of the ministry. Do you know what Ephesians 4 says the main job ministry of the pastors are? It's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Some people are like, well, you know, we, the pastor, he does all our visiting in the hospital, and he goes and witnesses, does all our witnessing for us, and he's in charge of all the leadership and all the financial. No, that, the, the body of Christ, you, as the body of Christ, it is your responsibility to minister to a hurting community here in Thousand Oaks. You are the ministers. God has called you to do it. And sometimes when there's no pastor, a a congregation even steps up. And I've been very encouraged to hear Peter brag on you guys and hear how you guys are strong and, and really serving in the midst of not having a senior preaching pastor here. Because God is has not left. And you are the ministers. You are still here. You, sometimes it helps you to realize, hey, I need to step up and go and visit that person in the hospital. I need to be witnessing to my neighbors. So God can use you in the midst of that situation where you don't have a pastor. And I pray, and I have been praying, my wife and I have been praying for you all, and we do pray that God will continue to use you no matter how long it is that you're without a pastor. As you look through, as we look at this passage, we continue on here. Uh, verse 40, then David took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Would you put the slide up that has the photo there? Uh, there's a, be available, we were talking about that. So my wife and I had a great privilege of going to Israel a number of years ago. That's from the camera that we owned, we took that. And I don't know if you can see in this photo, there is a, in between a group of uh, some grass there and grass here, there's like this uh, path. Can you kind of see that? It's, it's, uh, doesn't have the brush and all there. Basically, that's where the dividing line was between the Israelites and the Philistines down south. If you look down that way, it was Gath. That's where the where Goliath and the Philistines would have been from. Standing in this direction was Israel. And so there was a riverbed right there. It's dried up. And like a lot of Southern California was dry. Their climate is very similar to ours in Israel. And so it was interesting when we were there, we went... Less than 30 days after Sharon had gone up to the Temple Mount, caused that big uproar a number of years ago, and there was rockets firing, and there was guns shooting, and there was all this fighting broke out, and the United States put out a warning and said, do not go to Israel. (laughs) So Kristen and I said, we're going to Israel. (laughs) I thought, oh, what better place to die if you got to go, you know? (laughs) So we just had a real peace and confidence about that. Went over there, but because hardly anybody was over there, we got the run of the land. They said, we got to see all kinds of places you don't normally get to go to. One of them was to see this very spot where David and Goliath fought. And he said, you know, I want to encourage you. I want you to reach down into that riverbed, and I want you to take a rock or stone And I took the very stone that David used to kill Goliath right here in my hand. Or one just like it, he said, you know, if you pick this up. But if you look at this, it's kind of small. It's not huge. 
And when I think about it, God could use a stone like this to kill a huge giant. It confirms the fact that God can use you to make a difference. Some of you are going, I don't, I'm not gifted like you, oh, thank God. You know, I can't sing like Thomas. I can't play the guitar like Peter. I can't work with youth. You know, we make all these excuses up. That's too, I'm too small. I'm too insignificant. I don't have that value. That's total lies from the devil. Just like God can use this stone in his hand, he can use you in his hand. If you'll be available this morning and say, yes, God, I want you to use me. I want to make a difference for you. And we see that's exactly what David did. He reached down. He got these five stones, smooth stones. And then if we look on the next uh, slide here, uh, I'm, I'm going to, before I read these next verses, I, I wanted you to think, I, I was thinking about how I could share some of these things with you uh, being without a pastor I've been in a situation where I was the Peter Lee at a church where the senior pastor left two years after I was youth pastor there. And then I've been in situations in a couple churches where I've been very influential in trying to help uh, in that process of finding a new pastor. And uh, Peter had encouraged me to share some things from my experience, which I wanted to do. And I, and I made this acronym GIANT. So calling a pastor in the 21st century takes giant discernment. One of the things that is very key and important I'm not sure if you know that one of the gifts that God gives congregations are people with discernment. And I don't know exactly how to tell you who has discernment. Maybe some of the people that have discernment are wise enough to know who in your congregation has discernment. But you need to make sure that the people that have the gift of discernment are greatly involved in this process. Because God gives wisdom. There are a lot of people in your congregation like, oh, this guy preaches the word, he is great. Oh, he loves God, he's great. That doesn't necessarily mean he is the person that God has called to your congregation. And there are certain people I think God gives gifts of wisdom and discernment to to help make that decision process. So I've put together this acronym of a giant type uh, ways you can have this discernment. And the first one, if you want to, I should hit here, gradual change. Um, I, I know a guy, a pastor named Eric Hahn. So what happened was many years ago, as Peter mentioned, I have the privilege of traveling. I've been in 30 states preaching and seeking and doing concerts in, in foreign countries. And so I did a concert at Cal Baptist in Riverside. And there was a student that opened up for me at this concert, played piano, very creative. One of the rare guys that actually had a good creative sense of humor like I do. I wear wigs and do parodies of songs and stuff, goofy things. This guy was pretty creative as well. Well, Zoom forward about 15 years. There's a church down in San Diego that was pushing close to 1,000 people, very old, an older traditional congregation. The pastor left. They were in the process of finding a new pastor. They asked me to come in and preach. I had the privilege of doing that. I got to meet one of the guys on their pastor search committee named Dave Rader. Dave Rader used to be a catcher for the San Francisco Giants. I had his baseball card when I was little growing up. It's pretty neat. It's a great baseball player, great hearted guy. And so he was excited when they got their new pastor. He said, Larry, you got to come out and hear this guy. He is really good. And he's very creative and reminds me of you a little bit. And so I went to a church service and heard the guy, and he played a song, and he, he did these creative visual demonstration things. Like, this is great. But I also thought he's a young guy, and he's very creative. It didn't seem like an exact fit for a congregation that was an older congregation like this. So after the service, Dave Rader came up, and he said, here, I want to introduce you. So he says, uh, this is our pastor, Eric Hahn. And Eric stuck his hand. He goes, hi, Larry. Good to see you again. I'm like, what? I didn't even recognize him. He said, yeah, I remember when that guy opened up for you at Cal Baptist many years ago? That was me. 
I didn't even realize that that college student is now pastor of this large church in San Diego. And I pulled him aside. I said, Eric, I know I saw how creative you are, how uh, (laughs) wild you are. How in the world are you doing it here at this traditional conservative church? And he said some very profound words that I've never forgotten. He said, you know what, Larry? The very first year, all I did was love on those people. I built their tru- built trust up. I let them know I cared about them. I didn't go in trying to make all these radical changes. I just came and loved them. Now, how does that apply to you guys? I want to encourage you. Some of you won't be in a position to ask the new pastoral candidate questions, but if you are, I want to encourage you to ask this question. What is your strategy to implement change in a church? Let's say you come to the church and you see something really needs to to change. What is your strategy for implementing that change? Let them respond. If they mention a time framework, great. If they don't follow it up with this question, what would be your time framework to implement this change? Now, based on that, I've seen a whole lot of guys, a whole lot of young guys come into churches and they come in and they're going, I know all these things. I've been to Rick Warren's conferences. I am going to change this church. We are going to, for the glory of God, we're going to go forward. We're going to, and they come in and they start doing all these changes and the people just rebel because they haven't got to know that pastor. That pastor hasn't earned their trust and respect. They don't even know that he loves them. So I want to encourage you as best you can to look for a man that realizes it takes some time to get to know you, to build up that trust before you start implementing those very good changes. Now, on the other hand, sometimes the congregations aren't too uh, up for change. There's another guy named Ed Stetzer who travels the country helping churches in transitional times. And I heard him share, he's written a number of books, brilliant man. And he said, now, for those of you here that are on a pastor, uh, maybe going to be on a pastor search committee, or those of you here that are thinking about going to another church, if you're a pastor being interviewed by a pastor search committee, just here's one thing I want you to know about every pastor search committee. They lie. (laughs) <laughs> he said, they lie. He said, they don't mean to, but they do. They tell you, oh, the church is ready for change. The church, that so they're ready to move forward, and they think they are, but sometimes they aren't. And most of you probably here would say, we're ready for change. We're ready for a new man. We're ready for God's direction. But are you ready for somebody to sit in your pew? You know, the one you sit in all the time? No, that's my reserve pew. Are you ready for teenagers like this that aren't so well-behaved as these guys? I was youth pastor for a number of years. We had a group of Teenagers would start coming to our church. I think they liked one of the girls. I don't know why they started coming. They'd never been to church before. They were wild. They were disruptive. They didn't know how to sit in reverence of God. And some of the adults, they started saying, we need to get these youth out of here because they're disrupting our worship of God. That broke my heart. So these teens, they don't know how they're supposed to act. We were teaching them, helping them. These teens had never been in church before. Would you rather have them sitting in here, or do you want them to go ahead and go out and be in the gangs where they're causing violence, where they're doing drugs? Sometimes change will make us uncomfortable, but we need to be willing to say, God, I'm, I'm up for it if you want that. That's your call. So anyway, change is a very tricky issue when you're talking about a, a new pastor time framework. Um, I have a cartoon here, perfect timing. I put this in my newsletter. I mentioned last time I have a newsletter out here that goes out to about close to 4,000 people. It's free if you want to take a sample copy. It's by the CDs that I have, which are not free, but they have a lot of my songs that I did. And I I put this cartoon in one of my newsletters, and I like to put humorous things like in it. Uh, This from Frank and Ernst says, I'm exhausted. I started sleeping on my coin collection to keep it safe. Now I understand the saying, change is hard. (laughs) 
I love that. Change is hard. Well, I know it's tough, but uh, that's one of the things we're going to have to deal with if, with a new pastor from your perspective and his perspective both. So I, I have another friend who was on my board of directors. His name is Jim Poorboy. And uh, his full-time ministry is traveling to churches and helping them transition when they don't have a pastor. He is not just a, an interim pastor. He is a transitional or an intentional interim pastor. And he says, you know what? When a church loses its pastor, they're usually either mad, glad, or sad. And there's people in every congregation that are mad or glad or sad when that person leaves. So how are you going to deal with that? There are some people that are like, this is the greatest thing. There's some people that are heartbroken. There's some differences in the congregation that need to be worked through. There's some people that have different ideas about who this new pastor is going to be. So you need to be patient in that change and that time and working together in determining who God is leading to your congregation. Um, my friend said anytime a church has had a pastor for over 10 years or anytime a church has had problems and struggles, they are a prime candidate to have somebody that's an intentional interim to come in and help them work through that transition. Um, because you know what? Your next pastor will not be Pastor Michael. I think that was your pastor that was previously here. He will not be Pastor Michael. Subconsciously, most of you will compare this new person to Pastor Michael. And you know what? He's not going to live up to the same standards. But you've got to realize this new person has different, unique gifts. My, my home church in Kentucky had a, a pastor who had been there 18 years. Church was thriving. There were close to 1,000 people, booming, growing. They got the next pastor congregation, came in, and guess what? He was very introverted. Hit the next slide here. As you see the next one eye on here. He was introverted. He wasn't an extrovert. The previous pastor had been an extrovert. This new guy was like a teacher, a professor. And he did a great job expounding God's word, but he didn't go out and hang out with the people. He didn't come up and shake all their hands and say, how are you doing? He didn't maybe go and visit a lot of the people in the hospital. You've got to decide right now. Would you rather have a pastor who is going to get to know you and visit you in the, past, in the hospital? Would you rather have a pastor that is going to really eloquently deliver God's word and preach in such a way that many people are going to want to come and hear him? Neither one of those is wrong. Rarely do you find somebody that does both. You've got to realize the pastor's limitations. He's human. He's not Superman Christian. He can only do so much. And you need to decide what type of pastor do we want. I don't know if you've done this before. There are personality inventory tests for congregations and for pastors that way the pastor comes he knows what you're looking for and that needs to be clear you need to know what your goals are what your expectations are he needs to know that the same way you need to know the gifts and uh, expectations of this pastor are you looking for someone who's a real go getting extroverted witnessing you know you're looking for someone who's more of a teacher what's the goal of your church these are some things you need to talk about and work through um, they're very important, and a lot of times they, let, they go undone in churches, and then there's a lot of uh, expectations that aren't met both by the pastor and both by the congregation. I, I knew a, a youth minister friend of mine who was on staff at a church that had to make an appointment to even talk with the pastor. Sometimes he didn't even think the pastor recognized him in the congregation. I mean, there were thousands of people. It was in, it's in, the church is in L.A. area. It's thousands of people, huge church. But the pastor was an excellent preacher. 
And he would spend hours and hours on the messages, but he didn't really have the time to shepherd an entire flock or congregation. It's kind of in the Old Testament. Jethro gave Moses wise advice. He said, you've got to have men under you that can shepherd and do other things like that. But you've got to realize, what is your pastor gifted at? And what do you expect? What do you think God is calling you to do in this situation? So go ahead and hit the next one. Age. This I'm not going to say too much about this other than typically... A congregation will be 10 years younger or older than whoever you call as pastor. The church that I was part of in Kentucky, they wanted a bunch of young, they wanted young families to start coming to the church. They wanted 30-something people to come to the church. They had a pastor that was 60. They realized that's not going to happen. If they're going to call a pastor, they, if they want a lot of young couples, it's wise to have a pastor that's at an age range. Now, God can do anything. We don't want to limit God. But I'm just saying that's what the re- research shows, that your congregation will largely be 10 years above or below the age of whoever your pastor is. Let's skip that next cartoon. We're not going to have go to the next one. Next slide. Next slide. So insecure. The ne- next word here, I know it usually starts with an I, but I like to put insecure. These youth are so smart. They're like, that guy doesn't even know how to spell. He must be from Kentucky. <laughs> that's where I grew up. Insecure. So my wife is like, what are they teaching these young students at seminary? They all come out and they all want to just control the church. They come in with all these ideas. They don't get other people on board. And I've seen that over and over. My ministry at going to churches more has been helping churches heal than actually what I would like to do being helping them in evangelism and helping them grow. And what happens is a lot of young pastors come in and older pastors as well, who have this insecurity complex and they are afraid to let anybody else come on board and help because they're thinking that threatens my authority, that threatens my ability. And I've seen that over and over. And it's very unfortunate in churches these days. I have another friend, Greg Sumi, who travels the state. His main responsibility at that point in time was helping churches heal that were going through tough times. He came to our church to help us as well during a very tough time. And, And I asked Greg, I said, Greg... Have you noticed that churches are more and more dysfunctional these days? And he said, well, think about it, Larry. Look at our country. Would you say our country is more dysfunctional now than it was 20 years ago? Duh, of course, you know. He said, you know why the country? Because families are dysfunctional. Many parents aren't even married anymore or aren't even around anymore. And the kids don't have anybody to help them, love them as they're growing up. So there's this great sense of insecurity. There's this dysfunctionality that we see throughout the country. Now think about it. If families are dysfunctional, what group makes up the congregation of your church? Families. Dysfunctional families. Even the pastors can be dysfunctional. They might have grown up in a horrible home situation and not had the love that many of you guys have been blessed to have in your situations growing up. And as a result, a pastor can end up thinking that they need to control everything. So another good question for a pastoral candidate, how much are you going to involve? Say you want to implement change. How would you go about doing that? Would you involve other people? Would you feel like you need to do it all on your own? I mean, I don't know how honestly a person can answer that because in theory they should want to get people involved. But you need to make sure that your new pastor wants to work together with you and not just be autocratic and do everything on his own. It's not healthy for him to do that anyway. I always decided if I was going to go on staff again, 
I would make the congregation make me take time off because I'm the type, I'm like an A personality that's driven that really wants to do stuff all the time and you can burn out doing that. So you need to protect your pastor, your new pastor in situations like that. The last one is the T, time and patience. Uh, it takes time. Don't just rush into th- something. And I'm, I commend you all because I know you all have been praying and seeking God and haven't been rushing into it. Let me tell you, have you heard of the the famous classic book, Tale of Two Cities? Let me tell you a tale of two churches. The church that I moved out to be youth pastor in San Diego, California, the church I grew up in in Erlanger, Kentucky, both churches went through similar situations with pastors leaving, incredibly similar. The one in California happened about a year ahead of the one in in Erlanger, and I was able to go back and help them through some of the things that we, some of the mistakes that the church in San Diego made. Now, one of the things I did in our church in San Diego We had gone through a horrific, horrible situation, almost a church split. People were leaving left and right. The pastor had caused all kinds of dissension problems. There were, there was a, it wasn't just one guilty party. There were a lot of things going on. In a situation like that, I said to the church, we need to get an intentional interim like Jim Poorboy. We need somebody here to help us work through our situation, to heal from the hurts, to know what direction we're going. There happened to be a new pastor in our congregation who was retired who said, I would come and I would gladly be your interim pastor for free. I won't charge you anything. That was appealing to a lot of people. He was already in the congregation. He could preach for free, and he did. They said, let's have this man come. It will save us money. He loves God. He preaches the Bible, and he did. He preached great messages, preaches, preached God's word, but he did not do anything to help the congregation heal from the hurts, to help the people know what some of the separations and the rifts were, to help them prepare for a new pastor. And I thought, well, I'm not God. I don't know. Maybe this will work well. Well, then the pastor search committee, I remember speaking to the lady, the chairperson, and she said, you know what? If we don't call this next person, I am... More or less, she was saying, I'm going to quit. I can't do it anymore. She was kind of impatient. She was like, we've talked to a couple of people. They haven't worked. We've got to get this person in now. I can't do this anymore. Talk about time and patience. It wasn't happening there in San Diego. They called a new pastor, and a church of three to 400 is now running under 50 because they didn't work through those problems. They didn't heal. They didn't get a direction. And it's sad. It's heartbreaking. That pastor ended up leaving. And what my friend says, Jim Poorboy, he said, you know what? If you call a pastor and you haven't worked through some of those issues, you haven't called an intentional interim, your next pastor is going to be an unintentional interim. In other words, he's not going to be there very long because you haven't prepared and and been ready to receive God's man for you. Now, contrary, the church... In Kentucky, it was scary to see all the same things happening in that church, almost to the letter that what I had experienced. And I feel like God had, had allowed me to experience that in San Diego to say, when I pre- they called me to preach there in between pastors. And I didn't get up and say, you guys might want to think about getting an intentional interim. I said, you know what? I love you guys. This is a church I was baptized in. I came to know Jesus in the church. You guys have had an incredible impact in my life. Let me tell you, you need to get an intentional interim. You had had a pastor for 18 years. 
They didn't do any prep. I suggested it at that point in time. They didn't get an intentional interim. They got the next pastor. He was only there a couple years. He was an unintentional interim. Things went downhill. People started leaving. 800 people dropped down to 300. They were having struggles financially. Everything else, I said, you need to get an intentional interim. Jokingly, I said, I happen to know a guy in California named Jim Poorboy who does this full time. I didn't think in the world they would call a guy from California to Kentucky to do that, but they did. They called my friend to come back there. He made a commitment to be with them for a year. And they basically hired him as a pastor. He wasn't going to be their full-time ongoing pastor, but he was their intentional interim to help them heal from the wounds, help them to be prepared for a new pastor. And the church is now thriving with hundreds of people attending that church. Tale of two churches. I just throw that out. I don't know exactly where you are. You know exact, You know much better than I do. I just know what I've seen. I know what I've experienced, and I wanted to share some of those things with you to encourage you during this time of transition. Uh, the last thing that I want to do and share with you is to make it a little bit more personal for you individually. And let's get back to the passage here in 1 Samuel 17. And if we'll look at these next verses here that come up on the screen. Verse 42. He looked David over, this is Goliath, saw that he was only a boy, ruddy, handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks and stones? And David said, you are a dog. And I just want to know, who let the dogs out? Who, who, who? Sorry, that's from, thank you. That's where you're supposed to laugh here. You know? Ah, thank you. Bless you, bless you, children. Okay, that's great. So make sure, just want to make sure you're awake here. Verse 44, come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me a sword and spear and javelin and nuclear bombs and all intelligence and artificial intelligence. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know it's not by sword. It's not by spear, not by bombs, not by machine guns that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's. He will give all you into our hands. And I love verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Wesley, here's this huge giant coming right at you. He's saying, I'm going to feed you to the dogs. I'm going to kill you. What would you do at this point in time, probably? Wake up, Wesley. (laughs) Run, yes, I'd turn around. If it was me, I'd say, get me out of here. I was just kidding. Peter, you take him. One of you guys that's older, come on. I was just a joke. I didn't know what I was talking about. Not David. David attacked. He attacked a giant. Can you imagine what Goliath was thinking? Like every time Goliath has cursed somebody or come at somebody, they've run head over heels. Not this time. He calls curses down on David, says, I'm going to feed you the dogs. I'm going to kill you. David attacks. He's probably thinking, what is this little runt going to do? Kick me in the shins? Bite my ankles? What can David possibly do? So that's a great, that's the final point of this message. When you start to get discouraged, when you want to give up, when you want to say, it's been too long without a pastor, you want to say, look, I've been witnessing to my parents for years. They don't come to the Lord. I've been trying to witness to my kids for years, my brother, my sister, my friends. They don't it's ever seem to know Jesus. I'm giving up. I've been teaching this Sunday school class for years. It just doesn't seem like anybody wants to listen. I'm giving up. I've been trying to follow Jesus. I'm giving up. My message to you, don't give up. Don't give up. Because just like David won a mighty victory, God won it through him. Same way, don't give up when the challenges come. 
I'm reminded of a powerful story I heard once. I heard, was privileged to hear Brother Andrew preach. Have any of you heard of Brother Andrew? God smuggler. He wrote some books. He would take Bibles into communist Russia at that time where they would kill you. It was illegal. They wouldn't allow you to read Bibles, to smuggle Bibles, and he would do it. And when he said he went to Russia, this was back in the days when the, the Confederation was together, and he said, I met a preacher named Joseph, a street preacher. Joseph would stand on the streets and he'd preach about Jesus. People were coming to know Jesus. They arrested Joseph, threw, threw him in prison. He said that wasn't in common, uncommon in those days. They said estimated one out of the three million people in prison in Russia in those days was there because they were a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, you know, if God calls you to do something, you don't give up. Joseph didn't give up just because he was in prison. He kept preaching. He preached to the prisoners. He preached to the guards. Listen to this. Guard, communist guards started to come to know Jesus. Other prisoners started to know Jesus. So many people came to know Jesus in the prison. Listen, they kicked him out of jail. Isn't that great? Peter, I don't know if any of your folks get arrested, but if you do get arrested, just start sharing your faith. They don't like that. They'll probably kick you out on the street. So Joseph's out preaching on the streets. The sad thing was the prisoners had no one to teach them God's word anymore because the only Bible they had was what Joseph had memorized. So here's what happened next. It's classic. They arrest Joseph again. They throw him back in the same prison area. The prisoners stand to their feet. They give Joseph a standing ovation. They said, listen, since you've left, Joseph, we've had no one to teach us God's word. We've been praying day and night that you'd get thrown back into jail. Isn't that great? At least he felt loved and wanted, you know. So he kept preaching, kept teaching, and they said, we'll set him up. We'll set Joseph up. They put him in this isolation cell. Him and this atheist, six foot six, Igor looking guy. Atheists hated Christians. That guy spit at Joseph. He punched him in the face. He made his life miserable. But Joseph still remained faithful. He still kept, and he would pray for the guy. Mostly, he said he'd pray for him like at three in the morning after the big guy had gone to sleep because he didn't want to push his luck. I mean, it's like Daniel in the lion's den, you know? God shut all the lion's mouths, right? But Daniel didn't go around pulling their tails. (laughs) You want to push your luck sometimes. So at three in the morning, he's down on his knees praying for this big guy. And the big guy looks up, wakes up, looks down and says, what are you doing? David's heart's beat. I mean, Daniel's heart's beating. He looks up and he says, uh, I was just praying for you. And sorry, Joseph, Joseph, he said, I was just praying for you. And the big guy looks up at him and he was so touched. He said, nobody's prayed for me before. That big guy fell on his knees right on the spot and asked Jesus Christ to come into his life. And from then on out, those two guys made a dynamic duo in that prison because Joseph would tell them about Jesus and the big guy would say, now you get on your knees and pray. (laughs) And many people came to know the Lord. Since that time, I heard that they put the big guy to death for his faith in Jesus. And the last I ever knew, Joseph was still out on the streets telling people about his lovely Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. First of all, realize it's not you. It's God. Just be available. Say, God, I'm available. Use me. And when tough times come and you seem impatient, it seems like it's never going to happen. Don't give up. Trust God. Last illustration I want to share about a difference you can make. Some of you probably heard the story. In the 1860s, there was a 16-year-old kid selling shoes, and a Sunday school teacher, everyday, everyday Christian like you or me, walks into the store, has this decision. Should I witness to this kid selling shoes or not? Decides to tell the 16-year-old kid about Jesus. He becomes a Christian. Isn't that great? He becomes a Christian. Just so happens this kid's name was D.L. Moody. One, if you haven't heard of him, one of the greatest revival preachers in the history of the world. And he, D.L. Moody not only 
as 16 asked Jesus in his life, he began to preach crusades and revival meetings, and thousands and thousands of people came to know the Lord. One of the people that D.L. Moody influenced in his writings was a young man named Mordecai Ham, who grew up in Kentucky like I did. Mordecai Ham followed Jesus and began to preach crusades and, and revivals. He wasn't as famous as D.L. Moody, but did the same type of thing. And he was in Charlotte, North Carolina, preaching a revival meeting one time, and a 16-year-old boy walked forward, prayed to ask Jesus Christ to come into his life, named Billy Graham, who has preached to more people on the face of this planet than any man in history, all because one Christian witnessed to one 16-year-old kid selling shoes in the 1860s. Don't let anybody tell you you can't make a difference with or without a pastor. God can use you in incredible ways if you'll just be available, realize it's him, and don't give up. Let's pray.